gentlemen and welcome to another episode of bobcast with you as always is bob live in the lounge staring at the ouija board okay so tonight's guest i've known probably my whole life we could have came out of the womb together playing the bass guitar coincidentally he's the first person i ever met that played the five string bass and this is the honest to god truth i've never seen anybody you know when i was like 20 years old i never saw anybody play five strings and look the internet wasn't fresh and all about you know, daily life at that point. I didn't even know that five strings existed, okay? I had just started playing bass, you know, E-A-D-G, that's all I knew, you know? And then slowly and surely, this other chord got introduced. But not only did the chord get introduced, but once I got to know the guy that was playing the instrument, I just got to, you know, like when you connect with somebody and you just realize like, oh man, like this dude's on the level. And like, you know, I, I like being around him. He's a good friend. And like in the early days of like, you know, being in bands, like even like way before Downtown Harvest, like we would do gigs with this band called Uncle Chester's Fever together. And we had this great rapport where we both were bass players in bands and we both were good at organizing things and we were both good at making events happen. And now, you know, in May of 2020, when events aren't happening at all, I look back finally on those days and I say to myself, man, what I would do to go back to Marita's Cantina with my main man, Pots and Pants, I'm so excited that he's uh, the guest tonight on episode 251. So, Pat, welcome to the show, Mr. Pat Mulholland. Hey, Bobby, what's happening? Thanks for having me on, man. Been trying to do this with you for a minute. Looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, it was a great introduction, man. You know, <clears throat> it's not that uncommon, really, though, that bass players in bands get along. I mean, we are the ones that are the most level-headed and really, you know, the coolest, if we're being honest. It, I mean, look at Nikki Six, right? I mean, he's sort of Motley Crew, and like, you know, the, the the crazy thing is like the bass player doesn't get enough credence because it's like, first off, you're holding everything together, okay? You're holding the drummer together, you're holding the other guys together, and nobody knows in the audience. You know what I mean? They just think that this is like some sort of pulse that keeps them moving, but they don't realize it's the backbone of the band. Got to keep it in the pocket. Yeah. Imagine no Paul. No John, uh, or no John Paul Jones. You know what I mean? Like, what, what would happen? You know, like we'd be very, we'd be living in a very tinty world. So let's 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 start off. Uh, who's your ba- favorite bass player? I mean, I know it's hard to like categorize, but like when you look James back, James Jamerson, hands down, James Jamerson. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, my first major influence was Paul McCartney. You know, mm-hmm. huge Beatles fan. Um, you know, and just the way that. Paul played very melodically. Uh, and then, you know, as you got kind of into like the jam band world, you know, I, I started listening to some more like Jocko Pastorius and some, some of that stuff and got into that. But, uh, you know, eventually I just kind of got back into like the pocket, you know, bass players. Uh, and if you just look back on the tracks that James Jamerson was on and just, you know, those, the Funk Brothers, that whole sound and just that, you know, just that, uh, just that grooving as baseline, you know, that, that, you know, that connection that you were talking about, it's the bridge between the, the percussion and, you know, the melody, you know, 
Uh, and to me, he was uh, the best at it. Drunk, sober, whatever. Yeah. Laying on the ground, the one finger. It's crazy, too, because, like, you're saying drunk or sober. Like, you know, I, I kind of felt like I would get better as a bass player the more drunker I got during the evening. I don't know how that, that – maybe it was just that, like, your inhibitions become lower – so that way you're you're allowing the bass to move freely through you. And like, I'm sure you have this because it's like, you know, when you're a rhythm instrument, like you, your, your instrument is basically made out of rhythm, you know, like everything has to be on point. Do you find that like sometimes like when you pick up the bass, like you have more rhythm than other times? I don't have much rhythm in my regular life, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's when I have the bass that I have the rhythm. It's weird, like my wife will make fun of me all the time. She's, you know, say that I'm the only bass player who can't dance, um, which is probably true. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's just something about it. As soon as you, uh, I mean, you know, as soon as you hear that kick drum and you know, that kick drum comes in and you're already kind of just feeling like the groove built, you know. Uh, and then that, you know, if you do have a couple of drinks in you, I always thought it was like, you know, equated to like shooting pool. Like I sucked playing pool sober. If I had like two beers playing, you know, I would be, I could hold my own shooting pool. But that third beer, forget it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> playing was kind of the same way, you know. So luckily, you know, you just get to the end of the set and then, you know, you can get drunk. Although I did not always listen to my own advice in that category. But, you know, who does? I, uh, I've been going through uh, lots of old boxes and stuff like that, and I came across a, a bunch of old photographs. I texted you some last weekend. And, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. I mean, it's 2020, you know, obviously in the current state of the world, it's people are missing things. And, like, you know, I was going over, like, this long storied career of playing in different bands and stuff. I mean, it started with Uncle Chester's Fever. I mean, it started with Delta 9, then Uncle Chester's Fever, and that's when we started picking up things. And then I met Tommy, and then we started doing Downtown Harvest, and then you had the Barefoot Clowns. You had, you know I mean, different iterations, like, going throughout. And we always, like, we teamed up with the New Familiars, and we were always doing stuff. And, like, I was talking to my wife about this the other night, and it's like, I guess musicians are the only other people who really can understand this. It's just, like, once you've had that, you know, once you've had that um, Friday or Saturday night where you're performing for people and you see them dancing and you see them moving and that dopamine release in your head of being like, oh my God, this is the best, you know, like, man, do I miss it more now than ever, you know? Yeah, no, I, amen. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's easy to miss the, the nonsense <clears throat> or it's, it's easy to not miss the nonsense, I should say. You know, sometimes it comes with bands, you know, the, you know, the playing all the time, you know, being gone, whatever, whatever the, the problems may be. But yeah, that, that moment on stage is, uh, I mean, that's hard to, that's hard to replace, um, you know. And it's great because it's something like, you know, it's something that you've built over time, you know. So it's, it's kind of like, as you're there, you're in that moment, but you could, you're also aware of, what it took to get to that moment. You know what I'm saying? And there's also a moment of hope in that moment that, wow, this could even get bigger. You know, so it's a, it's a really, it's a tough spot to kind of get, you know, exactly that feeling again. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure you had a similar thing. I mean, sometimes, and not all the time, not even close to all the time, but every once in a while, you'd get a little bit of that feeling uh, during the middle of a class when, when you're on fire you know, and like everything's just clicking, you know, 
Yeah. So, so uh, Pat's a school teacher. Um, so I, I'm a school teacher as well, but I, I uh, I've been inactive since uh, 2017, maybe. But now I'm like, I was just talking to my my parents. I was like, I think I need to, you know, get, come back out of retirement. <laughs> you know, I miss like that that engagement with the class that you were just talking about when you're like, you know you're just like shooting off thoughts and like, you can tell that it's like being reciprocated through their minds, you know, like, oh, yeah. and that is something really special and unique that comes along with being a performer, which now, like when I look back at it too, it's like when I, you know, when I studied in school to be a, a teacher, I wish that there was more performance tests. You know what I mean? I wish that like, I would, I mean, like get me in front of people, you know what I mean? Like, all these books and stuff like that. I don't remember, like, I guess I did student teaching in the last year, yeah. but like, you know, when you're a teacher, you don't really know if you're that good yet until you get up in front of people, you know? And like, I feel now though with the kids and obviously it's very hard to do this show now without talking about the current state of affairs and, you know, like the class of 2020, you know what I mean? I was watching like some, uh, some graduation ceremonies online this morning with Matthew McConaughey being like, you know, all right, all right, all right. It is the fight. You know what I mean? Like, did he graduate college? I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe. I know he teaches. He, he's at least, I'm sure Tax University of Texas at least gave him an honorary doctorate. I think he teaches an online course or something like that. I, I I don't know, but I mean, I imagine like education is going to change forever, and like, yeah. I mean, like it's just going to be it's going to be difficult for kids to have the same level of interaction that we did, not only as students but also as <laughs> teachers. You know what I mean? Like as a teacher. I'm struggling with the fact of like how much good can you do through one of these? You know what I mean? Like through this zoom thing, like, yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, let me see. How I can say it. It's, <clears throat> I mean, when I was at my school down in Charlotte, I was put on this uh, design team for this personalized learning, um, which they do a lot in elementary and middle school, but not so much in high school. Um, but it is really this one-to-one, learning basis with student teacher and you know some form of technology um so like the handwriting's been on the wall for this for a while and i've kind of been dragging my feet kicking and screaming because i'm in the same boat with you you know like uh you know i mean you can do certain things you know remotely um but i mean yeah you are going to miss out on uh, the socialization aspect um of these kids um, you're going to miss out on, like you said, like, you know, the teacher's personalities, you know, are as important as what they're, as what the subjects are, te- you know, they're teaching. That's what students remember. You know what I'm saying? Like, they remember the lessons through the person that you were. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you were a terrible person, you could have the best lessons. They're not going to remember it, you know, so they're going to miss out on that. And that's, <clears throat> that's something that's going to be hard to be replaced. Um like I said, yeah, I mean, your personality is like the most important thing. Yeah. What's up, bud? Are oh, you hungry? So the peanut butter sandwich that I just made before the podcast began didn't suffice? <laughs> okay. I'll be right there. And we're going to watch Scoob. So, you know, one of the, the interesting things, too, and this is a good segue because I just got interrupted by my son and my phone. Hey, hey. but um. So I've been trying to teach my son at home, you know? Yeah. It don't work, okay? I'm just going to be honest, okay? I'm going to tell everybody right now. Look, I mean, I guess if your kid's like in like, 
I would say probably around fourth grade, probably being 10 years old, maybe it starts to like, you know, click a little bit. But I mean, like, predominantly when you're that young, you need that social interaction between kids. You right. need to have that type of, like, also to the, the sense of uh, competition when you don't even realize it's a competition yet. You know what I mean? Like hearing somebody read in class and like in your mind being like, holy shit, man, Julie can really read well. What's up with me? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's gone. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, and, you know, and the problem with, you know, just, you know, it's just a socializing. Like I used to say, the, I mean, it's been coming for a while. And this is now like the 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 the, the, mon, the monsoon, right? Because, you know, I mean, kids have had problems with these issues that I, I've seen that, you know, being so isolated into their own worlds and in their own technology. And now, you know, this exacerbates it. But, you know, you have kids that really can't, sit and be bored you know um and that's, like, that's i try to tell I, I try to tell kid, people all the time like you know when i was teaching go home sit for 10 minutes no tv no phone no nothing just sit with yourself for 10 minutes and be bored because it's your job you're gonna have to be bored at some point in time you know you gotta learn how to deal with it. you know one of the things with homeschooling now you know that i can see because my mom and you know sister teaching second and third grade uh from remotely is uh you know part of that environment is just you know one kid sitting down is going to make another kid sit down you know what i'm saying when 13 kids are sitting down listening you know it's easy everybody's going to follow suit yeah that socialization that needs to happen atmosphere. You know, that pack mentality you know what i'm saying which is unfortunately it's you know i mean that's part of socialization you know for good or bad but i mean that's one of the real hard parts about you know, not having, you know, the the classroom environment like you were talking about, not having that, you know, the competition or not having that, you know, just that stabilizing force. Like, I'm not going to act like a fool because, you know what, I think that so-and-so over there is pretty cute, you know, and if I'm acting like a fool, you know what I'm saying? Just stupid stuff like that. Stupid stuff. I mean, and like, this is also too, I mean, it's indicative of like, not just secondary education, but also very much so in elementary education, early ed I mean, you're figuring out the cracks, you know what I mean? You're figuring out like socialization, you're figuring out like how to communicate with a teacher that's not your parent, you know what I mean? There's all these things and I'm very concerned, obviously, with the state of education and the state of affairs, you know, in society right now. And sometimes I wake up and like, you know, like for a brief moment, like I think, hey, everything's okay. And then like, I think to myself, well, no, it's not. But I mean, one of the things, okay, so like one of the things that's very difficult for people right now in this world is that the harsh realization that, you know, their lives are changed forever. Lots of people right now are very upset that, you know, they can't open their businesses up. They're, they're, they're struggling. They're scared to bring their customers in because their customers can get sick. And just like seemingly overnight, something can happen that changes everything, you know? And like one of the, um, I think a very important message is your story. So, I mean, like, I want to talk a little bit about that, but I want you to use your own words about when, even way before COVID, you know, like the day where you woke up and you realized things would be different for you. Sure. Uh, so it was uh, February last last year, February 9th, uh, 2019. Um, <clears throat> Tuesday afternoon, just finished up work. Um, I had I'd taken the day off the next day <clears throat> for a doctor's appointment because I had some, like they want to do like an asthma test. Um, 
So I went in for the doctor's appointment, you know, I felt, and it was already felt bad about missing work because it was Wednesday and we had school day. So I was like, well, I'll do this and then I'll just go in school afterwards. So I get there and the pet, you know, they do the x-rays. Then I did like an asthma test in his breathing booth. And the lady was like, oh, excellent. And then I went into the other room, went and saw the doctor. uh, And then they looked at my chest x-rays and they were like, uh, yeah, not so excellent. Um, So I a, I asked if I could just go back into that booth where everything was better, um, but you know, obviously he couldn't. Uh, and then we figured out that um, it looked to be at that time what turned out to be mesothelioma, um, which is a it's a pretty rare, I guess, uh, lung disease. Um, like three thousand people a year get it. Um, generally, people the only way really to get it is from exposure to asbestos, um, and it's usually over. Uh, long periods of time. So, uh, you know, when we found out about this, it's in, it's incurable. Um, and there, most of the st- statistics on it, um, when we looked at it, were pretty grim. Um, you know, most people's survival rate is about, about half a year to a year and a half. And then there's like a five-year rate that, <clears throat> and then it drastically drops off again. Um, but you know, most of these people are much advanced in their age as well um, because they've been exposed to, you know, whether they work in shipyards or <clears throat> around brake pads or whatever the experience has been. Um, so, you know, the studies, you know, are frightening and they're true, but, you know, they're also a little, you know, swayed. So the way we decided we were going to look at this was, you know, other than that, I mean, you know, I walked into there, you know, I walked in with basically one lung and I've been operating like that for years. So we just took the attitude that, you know, I'm, I'm as healthy as I was before I found that diagnosis. Uh, and then we're just going to start the, the process of, uh, of doing our best to just kind of stabilize and maintain everything. Um, and so we went through uh, six months or so of like heavy, heavy chemo. Um, and then we saw some stability and some, sh- some shrinkage. And now we're on, uh, since then we've been doing like a maintenance chemo. So I get that every three weeks, which is about pushed to four weeks, uh, with the COVID. Uh, but so far, I mean, as of my last scans the other day, um, you know, showing stability overall. And then there has been, you know, <clears throat> it, expansion in my one lung uh, capacity and, and some, you know, some um, de-swelling of some lymph nodes. So some positive stuff, you know? Yeah, and you know, I mean, like when I first heard the news, I was I was pretty devastated. I mean, I think I reached out to you like immediately and just did straight up like, hey, pots of pans, I love you, you know? Like, yeah. I think a lot of people don't say that enough, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, our lives are so fragile, you know? Like all of us, you know, especially now, I mean, looking, you know, at the current state of affairs and, everybody's put on the earth for a reason. And like one of the greatest things that I saw, you know, I remember like upon hearing the news and you know, what had, what had happened, there was, um, quite a response from your students, you know, and, um, the students at the school that you taught at, I mean, like there was a local news station story, everybody talking about how great Mr. Mulholland was, you know, and that warmed my heart, you know? Yeah, man, those, those kids are, those kids mean everything to me. Um, they, uh, you know, I, you know, we still talk, you know, I still talk to a number of them. Um, a couple of us have been bantering back and forth about ways to kill time during this. And we were talking about maybe starting up a, like a, like a little book club, 
you know, like a little after school with Mahalan type of thing. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they were great. And that was, you know, that was the hardest part, you know, was, was, was t- telling them and, you know, and <clears throat> leaving them behind. But, uh, you know, like one of the things that I was just having this conversation with a really good friend of mine, uh, one of the, uh, the byproducts, I guess, when, um, you come face to face with something is like, serious i guess as this illness is is that you uh you develop you develop um different uh aptitudes i guess um one of them is definitely uh an increased uh uh empathy um not saying that i was never an empathetic person you know but like you know like it's to the point where like sometimes you see stuff and like it it really affects you because you really do learn how to value life and love, you know? And <clears throat> so that's the one negative side about that. But the positive side about it is, man, you look at the relationships that you have, you know, like you look at the bond that we've had for years, you know, even it's, even if it's remote, we weren't, if we're close or whatever, it's a connection, yeah. pick up the phone on there, you know, vice versa. Um, and then you think about all those different situations and, you know, I'm just, I'm just so lucky to have, you know, this, this network, you know, that, that just keeps growing somehow. So, um, you know, I, 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 one of my favorite things to say is I, I don't know how I got here, but uh, I plan on staying here as long as possible. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, I mean, but without my, you know, without my wife, my family, my friends, you know, I mean, it, this, 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 <clears throat> this journey that I've been on wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, it, it wouldn't be as um, as meaningful or as impacting or as as um, you know. I wouldn't have the the, the drive, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. That I have so I'm very lucky. And I can just say that the connection the connection between people is very important. Tyler, what? <laughs> what? You just called my name eight times. <laughs> yeah, are you watching Scooby? I'll be right there. Listen, you know, I just, I just thought, <laughs> I'm sorry, I got to say it's real quick color. That just reminds me, hopefully one day he turns up the grove to be like Howard Stern. And then, you know, the clips of Howard getting yelled at by his dad on the radio. <laughs> Howard, shut up, I mean, <laughs> I remember like listening to Howard Stern back in the day and thinking like, I remember I would like tune in at 1130 at night on E and like you would see like, you know, the video oh, yeah. and, and just being blown away, man. Like, you know, oh, yeah. the microphone Forgot about the E show. Oh man. And it was like, it was only, it was like a segment too. It was like 30 minutes of like yeah. a six hour show, but I want to touch base, uh, on the thing you were saying about, empathy. Yeah. you know, I've been a sucker for empathy my whole life. Right. Like I just, right. it, it's just, it, it's a, it's a driving force in my life is, is to be able to see what other people are going through and not only just see it, but actually you get a little feel of it, you know? And like, when the, when the COVID, you know, or coronavirus hit and stuff like that, my my hope, and my hope still is for, for the rest of humanity, is like, we all, I mean, like McConaughey, he may be in left field, but he did say something this morning that resonated with me. And it's that, you know, we're all faced with the same conflict now, the same, you know, like, our way of life is threatened, you know, and like, we're all human, you know, right. and, you know, regardless of like what you see in different countries with, you know, state and federal law opposing each other and governors and the president all fighting each other. You know, I mean, I think that we should take this time to realize that we're all human and we're all connected. And like, I do see that in some conscious communities, you know, but my fear is though that people will start to break apart again. And it's just like, 
I mean, I've been doing this show for 251 episodes and like I used to joke on here a lot that we needed something, you know, I used to say we needed aliens or we needed like, um, you know, Jesus to show back up, you know, or something like in the clouds, everybody was like, oh my God, he's there, you know? Yeah. But I never thought this would happen. And like, you know, lots of people are going through such extreme changes, you know, and like life is one long change, you know, it's, it's from the beginning to the middle to the end, you know, and our story, you know, our story has meaning, you know, and I think that sometimes it's important to communicate with people and let them know that you're feeling what they're feeling, you know, and empathy is something that, you know, I know in like a certain male circle circles, it's just not something you talk about. It's not masculine, you know, if that word even has any residence now, like in this world, but I feel like we should take care of each other more, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll I'll say this, Bobby, and I'm totally agreeing with it. you know, and I can, again, speak firsthand now, and I didn't think I could say this, but, uh, you know, I, I used to, you know, <clears throat> when I, you know, be riffing in class and talking about, like, <clears throat> existentialism and, and this and that, and, you know, like, you know, being, like, how meaningless everything is, and, you know, just, you know, riffing and just having a blast, um, you know, and we, we, I would talk to them, and I'd be serious, and I, I would say, like, you know, you really can't live until, you know, I personally feel, until you, like, really come face to face and accept, you know, more, your, your own mortality, you know, um, you know, and in a way everybody's facing that a little bit now. Um, and I think that's good for humanity. Um, it's good to realize that in a second, everything can change for you, not just, you know, for the, you know, the neighbor down the street, you know, or the person on your, on your Facebook feed, you know, because I think, I think at the very core, we are basic animals and, you know, we have that need to be fulfilled, you know, like that need of survival. So if we can all realize how fragile life is and how valuable it is, and then we start appreciating very, very locally, our local connections, like you were saying, you know, and hopefully that can, that can spread out and, you know, become something, you know, but it is a very difficult time for an, for an epithet right now, you know, because like you were saying earlier, you feel for these people that are losing money, you know, you, you feel for the people that, want to go back to work you feel for the people that don't want to go back to work you know like I talk to my wife all the time about it like it's hard to see like with a respiratory illness viral infection like even what that world looks like for a person like me like even when things get back to quote unquote normal you know um but like go back to Matthew McConaughey uh and the often ripped last episode of True Detective season one when, when he looks at that dark and the light, he said they talk about the darkness being around from the beginning, uh, but the light, the light might be winning now. So, okay, so you hit on something that is very fond to my heart. It's True Detective season one. I've seen, I've seen that series so much, and like the the line you're, I think you're referring to is a, uh, is I've been thinking a lot, Marty. It's the oldest story in the book. It's a story between light and dark. As <laughs> he's looking up at the stars. That's it. Dude, I love that ending. Okay, that yeah. ending is so, it just, it really, I mean, like literally every single thing in our life is the dual, like the, like the, the dual, dual, dual nature of like good versus evil. Like, should I do this? Economy, yeah. You know, and like also too, it's like, you know, like the mortality thing, you know, like faced with like the certain sense like, oh, like I'm, I'm in trouble, you know, like something's happening to me. And like, I could feel like within the first, weeks of covid that uncertainty amongst men and women 
like who who spent their lives just going to work for like, you know, eight hours a day, putting in 40, maybe some overtime on the weekends, come home, crack a beer, you know, eat dinner, go to bed and never even think once that something could go wrong. And then like to think about like themselves in a way where it, it may not be okay. And for some people, I imagine that can be very difficult, but for like, you know, musicians, artists and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what, I'll get you something to eat, but you got to come over here and talk into the camera. You saw how to pat? He's a little camera. Hello, buddy. What you getting to eat? What you, What's on the menu? What are you going to eat? I mean, he, he's an eating machine. We're, uh, we're home Where's here. Um, he got bit on, on the head yesterday by a mosquito, you can see, and uh, he's on some Zyrtec right now. It's something called Skeeter syndrome, which is, I don't even know I have. It's like, if I get bit by a mosquito, my face like swells up. Huh. But, you know, I mean, in the scheme of things, it's, I guess it's indicative of like the whole story we've been saying this whole podcast is that you never know when you're going to get bit in the head, you know? You, you, gotta, you gotta live your life to the fullest. What would you That's like to tell me? How about I get you, what do we got? You want another uh, Mandarin orange? I'll tell you what, listen, I, I'm going to finish up here with my friend Pat, okay? And then we're going to watch Scoob, okay? I really want to get Oh, you really want me? Okay, so Pat, do me a favor. Yes. If I go over here and get him a snack, I want you to tell me, I mean, like, during the times when you were teaching, I know you're a very well-versed you know, author of, uh, you know, humanity. Tell everybody what your favorite book is real quick. Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Oh, all right. Well, I guess, uh, I guess the most meaningful book to me, I guess I want is, is Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Stallinger. And that may be a cliche choice. I don't care. Uh, I was a 15, 16 year old boy at LaSalle high school. Uh, when I read that book and holding Caulfield, much like many other young teenagers, that was me. That was my voice at the time. Were you talking uh, about Catcher in the Rye? I am. I am. I have a uh, first edition of that. Which I, I mean, I heard you talking about it out there, but I mean, like, look, the book is so crazy for me, too, because did you ever read it from the perspective of Mark David Chapman? Yep. Uh, well, <clears throat> I, no, I won't. <laughs> but you I could. Mean, well, I mean, no. thing, you know, that he had that book on him. And I know, I do. No. I know. It, I, it, what, there was a movie about that, wasn't there, with uh, Jared? No, uh, yeah. yeah. He gained like 90 pounds or something like that. Yeah, I think chapter movie. chapter 23, was it? Because there was, or 20, was it 24? Because I think there's only 23 chapters in the yeah. book. Something like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I could see how people, I could see how people can be disillusioned with humanity <laughs> while yeah. reading that. You know, um, the thing I, I've always said, uh, you know, and I've done and I used to do it every year, but I have I've stopped, uh, you know, so I'll do it maybe every three or four years. But I will read reread that book at Christmas time. Um, and, I, you know, because I I like the scene in there where he talks about going to the museum and he says that every the best thing about going in the museum is it never changes. But it's always different because each time you go there, you're a different person. So like I kind of viewed like the rereading of that as like hmm. my going to the museum, me checking in, like, okay, this is what I felt when I was 16 years old. Do I still feel that crazy way? Hmm. It's know? funny you say that because I do the same thing with uh, 
The Great Gatsby. Um, mm-hmm. The reasoning behind it for me was that I, I, I mean, I suffered um, an elementary and early um, secondary education, undiagnosed um, ADD. I mean, it just, the word didn't exist, you know, <laughs> or excuse me, the phrase, or even like, you know, the assumption that somebody could have an attention deficit problem. But I mean, like, I just had a difficult time finding literature that like made sense, you know, and I give credit to uh, Mr. McCaffrey, Mr. McCaffrey at Plymouth White Marsh High School, my English teacher, he just had this way of presenting it. And like, I remember the day he opened the book and like he, he you know, he read it out loud in my younger and more vulnerable y- years. And I was just like, you know what I mean? I was like, wait a minute, this actually makes sense, you know? And then like, I remember like writing about East Egg, West Egg and like all this, like I did a report on it. And I, I go back sometimes and like, I, I re- you know, reread it. Um, on vacation, I'll take it with me. Like it's just the same copy too. I stole it from the high school, but um, and the odd thing too about that, Pat, is I just recently read that they may be banning that book, which is I know, no, you know, I know. Well, yeah, in Alaska, yeah, uh, I don't know <laughs> all why. places, right? I like, know. I, I have my copy with it. I oh, you got a copy? Oh, I got mine right, right here. This is my teaching copy. This was one of the last books I taught, actually. Now, I'm also, I, I've been very aware for the last like 30 minutes that you have what I, I think is a Karate Kid action figure still in its case. This thing? Oh, there. dude. Dude. Okay. <laughs> well, so, so I was in this, I found this in a store in Pittsburgh. I found that and. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's trying to say. Movie. I'll stop talking to the camera. Wait, Pat, put it back up. That's amazing. I mean, the Karate Kid for me, I, I actually, I watched the movie and asked my mom if I could take karate because of that. I did too. Same thing. <laughs> and I did the same ADD dance too. I was thinking that as you were saying it. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we did the Ritalin thing about started in, I think, ninth, 10th grade, about when I started enjoying literature too. Um, but yeah, so I, I found these two things, Bob in a store in Pittsburgh and uh, it were, they were like 10 bucks each. And I just looked at them and I, I was looking at them and I just kept looking at them and I said, I'm going to buy them. And I put them down <laughs> to the, on the counter and I, I said to the woman, I said, I can't think of one good reason I need to buy these, but I can't think of one good reason not to. And she said, give me your money. And that was it. That that's a that's an heirloom right there. That Karate Kid, Taxi Driver too. But something about I mean, like those original the original Karate Kid movie. I mean that and Back to the Future. I mean like that time in my life. I, it's weird because like it's, it's funny you mentioned these things, but I mean like you know we're talking about books and stuff like that. Like the way I perceived movies when I was a kid was like right. a book, right? Like right. I would say Back to the Future is like one of my favorite books. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I would watch well, it. It's literature. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a film is literature. I mean, that was one of, you know, when I, when my kids would be done with their AP exam, and I would realize I would have no chance of of like harnessing them and harnessing them to do anything productive. We would do film as lit, and then you know, like you know, those those films, those classics. I mean, they're just as I mean, I mean, as good as any play as any as any. You know, uh, what I think is really interesting. And I'm glad you brought up Back to the Future because I see it on my Netflix screen. And I'm a huge fan, love one, pretty big fan of three, even though it's a little, 
week, you know, with, uh, but I love the Western story. And two, I, I really like, even though it's just weird and got panned, but whatever. Uh, but I think it's very weird that we all grew up loving that movie. And like the whole movie is this mid eighties Reagan, you know, push for conservative 1950s values again. You know what I'm saying? It's a very odd, I would like to do like, you know, some sort of sociological study about the, that film and during that time period and what it says about what it said about American society in the mid 80s. You know, uh, you're, you may have to join the Legion of Ranks with us because I've been talking about this a while. And now that I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but Reunited Apart just had a Back to the Future um, reunion. Did, mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I'm going to send you the link after the podcast is over. Yeah. I think that we should start a Back to the Future podcast series where we just break it apart. Like all the deconstructionism of like Marty, you know, trying to figure out why Rick and Morty even exist. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know about this cartoon, but they look to me to be Doc Brown and Marty. But like, there's um, so much stuff about the film that just, God, it just sticks with me forever. I mean, the theme music makes me cry, dude. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. it's like trigger for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It's a special. It's a special time and a special place in all our hearts. I mean, yeah, that, if you could just at if you saw a DeLorean come down the street, like that would be like you know the like the greatest ice cream truck ever that ever came down. If, if you saw a DeLorean rolling down the street right now, I would chase that thing like it was the good humor truck. Virus, no virus, mask off, one lung and all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. God, there's so many different things about it too. And like, it's interesting you say like, you know, three, I also too have a very, I mean, I love the wild, wild west. I think I would have been good. I would have been, excuse me. I would have been well off in the wild. If, if, if all we had to do was drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes and just, you know, play cards, like yeah, not yeah, worry about, you know what I mean? Worry about like your existence because you're just happy to be in a saloon. Dude, I so want to do like a city slickers thing. So bad. Let's do it. I'd be all about that. I mean, like the, the whole You're thing. Riding out, riding a horse, whiskey in the hand, shooting guns up in the air. Dude, something about the wild. Isn't I mean, that like, how Tommy Tombstone. lives now? Tombstone's such a great movie. What are you going to do? Oh, you got one shoe off and you kicked it. Wow. But yeah, Marty McFly, um, you know, in the wild, wild west days, you know, showing the kids how to like shoot and stuff like that. Like, I, don't, I mean, three's great to me. I mean, it's a little weird too that, I mean, they didn't put three in the middle you know, Wild Wild West in the middle would have been better than the future at the end. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we could talk about that for hours. Um, oh, I would love to. I, I think that um, my son definitely is going to he's yeah. going to break in a minute. i got to put Scooby yeah. on. But, look, I'm really happy that we did the show. I mean, yeah. like, we've been in, in my life for a long time. Uh, we should probably give credence, too, to uh, Mr. Dylan Weiser. Dylan, hey, Dubs. We, we worked with uh, Dylan, and we start calling each other, my main man, Pots and Pans, I think, because of him. Oh yeah. Oh he, yeah. He used to do this thing. We were landscapers, like, you know, uh we would go like do groundwork and stuff like that. But like I remember like very vividly, six AM, him standing on his porch just waiting <laughs> for us all to arrive. You know what I mean? Like and now I can't even like if you if you go by there now, it's crazy. They have these luxury apartment buildings. I, I just saw that. I just saw that the other day. <laughs> Blew my mind. Would you ever ever think in a million years that, that would be there? I you know, no. no. I mean I'm still okay, I mean, the like, house is still there. It's not. Well, no, no. The house is gone. They did knock that down. Oh, that, is that a different they, house? It's like a house to the right that's like very similar looking. I got you. But yeah, really good times there. I mean, 
you know, from like the Barefoot Clowns all the way down to like, you know, the New Familiars, Downtown Harvest, all the years, you know, a friendship that we've had together, you know, and I'm, I'm so happy that you're doing well and you're getting good news. Yeah, man. And you're still inspiring people, you know, and I hope this story inspires people to understand, dude, that you need to, you need to let empathy into your life. You know, it's an important thing of human compassion. And I think that type of level of thinking can, you know, wherever we're going next, I'm pretty sure if you practice that type of philosophy in your life now, you will be rewarded. Even if it's just a figment of your consciousness out there sprawled in the universe, man. somewhere along the way in the stars, somebody will say, hey, man, you did a good job back there on Earth, you know? Uh, that's, this, is, this is, again, why we have this cosmic connection. That's my entire philosophy of life. <laughs> as far as anything goes, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I know what the hell this is all about. Mm-hmm. All I know is if I try my best and and do as good a job as possible, and there's some sort of like judgment, I'll be judged pretty well. I hope you know what I'm saying. Like, and if yeah. not, whatever. I lived a good life. You know what I'm saying. I, I did good things. So. It's very important, you know. And I think that people could learn from your story. Yeah. And you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and spending time with me. Um, you're my first guest since. Um, I mean, the other guys that have been on the show, like they've been working with me for a while, and they're kind of in the the repertoire of the Bobcast, but you're the first one that I sought out, you know, like when I was ready after two months to start interviewing people, I was like, I got to get my main man, Pots and Pans on the show, you know? Hey, yeah, man. I'm glad to do it, man. This is a lot of fun. I really I look appreciate forward it. To our back to our future. Uh, uh, <clears throat> we're going to do it. All right. So like, I, we have to figure out what the, like the, like what angle we're going to go for, but I will include you in the group chat and we will get this well, thing done because look, it's one we'll of the things. This. There are many different literary criticisms. You can you can study from post-colonialism view of uh, uh, Back to the Future. You can deconstruct it. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. You can you take the Jungian approach. You know, there's a there's thousand different ways you can do this. Like Back to the Future, like from the TikTok perspective. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. We could beat we could we could beat that DeLorean to death. <laughs> I like that. Um, my name is Bob. My guest tonight was Mr. Pat Moholland. And um, appreciate it once again, Pat. I love you. Love you too, brother. Be good. This has been another episode of Bobcast.